Hey, I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for virtual assistant Jess Allstroff. Once I started to feel overwhelmed, I thought about, well, hey, you know, people are hiring me to do this. I could hire my own people to help me. I definitely feel more confident in what I'm doing because I feel like I'm literally building something from scratch. Before it just felt like, well, this fell in my lap and now I'm gonna just do something with it. And now I'm more actively saying, where do I wanna go with this? Yes, so there is Jess. Jess, who, you know, obviously I introduced her as a freelance virtual assistant, which she, she is and has been for many years, but has also now grown that beyond herself um, into a company which hires other virtual assistants. It's um, an interesting story of what can happen, you know, almost accidentally when you start off as a freelancer and then suddenly you find yourself taking on work and growing in a way perhaps you'd never imagined. And she has a book I'll put a link at beingfreelance.com. I'm really enjoying it. I'm not all the way through it yet. But as you know, if you've been following my vlog where I document my freelance week and my freelance in quotation marks journey, like I have been sort of experimenting with using a virtual assistant, but also struggling with figuring out how best to get that help into my everyday pattern and routine of work. So rather than just using somebody's help for... I don't know, a project, yeah, and they just do a certain thing for me, actually using them on a regular basis to alleviate some of what I do, if that makes sense. And so I was, when I found out that Jess had this book um, after we'd lined up this interview, I thought, yes, I'll have a read of that. I could do with that. <laughs> this is perfect timing. So, yes, follow the vlog, beingfreelance.com and on YouTube, and let's see whether um, I find some answers within its pages that make a difference. Anyway, enough. Let's crack on, shall we? And chat to Jess Orstroff, who is based over in Connecticut, just outside New York. Hey, Jess! Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Thanks for doing this. Um, yeah, so... Well, let's find out how, as ever, how you got started being freelance. Absolutely. Well, I went to New York University and studied marketing and international business. I thought I wanted to, you know, travel the world and make money because who doesn't, right? <laughs> and it turned out that the corporate environment was not for me. So I decided to try and find some other things to do, but... Being, you know, a 22-year-old who just graduated college, I didn't know what that was. So I decided to do a complete 180 and not do anything business-related at all at first. And I did an AmeriCorps program, which is like if you've ever heard of the Peace Corps, um, it's kind of like the Peace Corps, but in America. So that was something that I thought would be a really great opportunity, you know, give back to the community, but also hopefully learn something new, um, which is always useful. And I also knew that I wanted to get out of New York. You know, I'd kind of, I'd been there for a while. I didn't love the weather. Um, I don't like being cold. And so I applied to a program that was in Los Angeles thinking, all right, I'm going to go completely as far away as possible, at least in the States and do something different. So I decided to uh, do a program that worked in schools and I taught math and science 
to eighth grade students, which I hadn't studied math or science in college. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a challenge. But of course, um, I brushed up on my long division and was able to help them out. And once I graduated from that program, I was sort of back to square one um, because I knew that I still didn't want to go back into a big marketing firm or an accounting firm or something like that. But I was still interested in marketing. So I got a job as a social media manager. This was around 2009. So social, you know, Facebook had been around for a little while at that time. Twitter had just started maybe a year or two before. It started really picking up steam around that time. And I thought it was a great way to connect people and connect people that weren't necessarily in the same geographic space. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. So I worked at this nonprofit as a social media manager but uh, quickly found out that the CEO of the company didn't even know what social media was. <laughs> so I was really fighting an uphill battle that I did not sign up for. And that became really difficult. Also, if anyone has ever worked in nonprofits, it can be just challenging to get through all the rules and red tape and and trying to get anything done with any sort of efficiency was really, really difficult. And I hated that. I hated that I was sitting at my desk, you know, from 8.30 to 5.30 every day and didn't have enough work to fill those hours. I was like, why am I even here? Like I could get my work done much quicker and then go to the beach or go to the gym or do whatever else I want to do with my life. So that's when I started looking into other opportunities. And it happened to be through Twitter that a former boss of mine had tweeted that they needed a virtual assistant. And of course, I'm you know 23 at this time. I didn't know what that was. I Googled it, uh, which is always helpful. <laughs> and I applied. I think I got lucky at that time because he knew me and he had worked with me before, so he hired me. And that's how I got started being a virtual assistant. I was doing 10 hours a week for this, this particular client, and I kept my job at that time and was kind of doing the work, you know, before work and after work or at my lunch break, things like that. And then uh, he was generous enough to refer me to some other colleagues of his who also needed virtual assistants. And basically, as soon as I got enough work to pay my rent, <laughs> I quit my job and became a full-time freelancer. Wow. So so if you hadn't have logged on to Twitter at that moment. Right. Right. <laughs> like I don't was, know where I'd be. <laughs> there, there was no plan of you just knew though that you wanted to work remotely, that you wanted to be able to do what you wanted with your time by the sounds of it, be that working or at the beach and so on and so forth. Yeah, I just felt like I was I was motivated enough to manage my own schedule and I didn't like being underneath someone else's control, <laughs> if you will. Uh, and I, I I didn't mind doing work for clients. You know, I felt like that was sort of a different relationship. But having a boss where I had to do whatever they said, no matter what, you know, no matter whether I agreed with them or not, was really hard for me. I, I learned that I had to really believe in my work in order to do a good job. And that didn't work <laughs> at some of my other full-time jobs. So how long did it take to build up that confidence or rather that sort of roster of other clients to quit? 
Yeah, it didn't take as long as I thought it would. I mean, even when I first got that that first client, I, I didn't really expect that I was going to be able to do this full time because I thought, wow, it's kind of a diamond in the rough situation, right? Like I didn't know anybody else who was a virtual assistant. I didn't even know that the industry existed. So I really didn't think it was going to be something that I would do. But I think it only took about five months I think I started the conversation with him, maybe even less. I started the conversation with him in January and I had quit my job by by March and maybe, you know, had my two weeks notice. So I was gone by April. So maybe like even three or four months. And were you getting those people on retainers to sort of give you that confidence? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I didn't quite do this on purpose at the time. I just was kind of taking any work that I could get. Some of them were project-based. So they'd give me like a 20-hour project to be done over the course of a couple of weeks, or they'd have, you know, a five-hour project here and there. But even if they weren't on retainer, they generally had enough projects to to fill my time. I did make sure that I had at least 20 hours of retainer work, though, so that I could pay my bills. And luckily at that time, I mean, I was making practically no money at the nonprofit. So I had a pretty low bar <laughs> of, of what I needed. And I was really young. I I didn't have a significant other, you know, I didn't have any dependents or a dog or, or much of anything. <laughs> so I didn't need much to be able to, to do it full time. So how, actually, just to put this in perspective, so what year are we at now when that happened? So now it's early 2010, and I was just frustrated with the system. <laughs> I felt like I had so much to give the world and and no place to, to let my work shine. Wow. So- <laughs> that sounds like you're saying it on the stage when they write uh, Jess the Musical. That sounds, it's a nice... Right. Yeah. <laughs> Coming soon to a theatre near you. <laughs> so that's eight years ago or so now. So... Mm-hmm. What happened in those intervening years? You don't seem to have much of a plan. No offense, but you're, you know, (laughs) you're seeing what happens with this new virtual assistant kind of role you've landed in, right? Right. I think that because I was so adventurous, (laughs) I guess I could say, I wouldn't say that I'm a risk taker, but I wasn't really risk averse. So I felt like no matter what, I would be okay. And even if I only did this for a couple of months, you know, I'd find something else to do. I I had worked in restaurants, you know, growing up. As soon as I was 16, I got a restaurant job. I worked in restaurants in college. I always felt like if I needed to, I could go back and work in a bar or work in a restaurant, you know, if I needed to make ends meet or or even if I just needed some supplementary income. So I felt like there was always going to be that. And also my family was always so supportive and I felt like if I had to go live back with my mom or with an aunt or an uncle or something like that, I could. So I was really blessed to have a a supportive family, even though at that point they had no idea what I was doing. They were like, we know she's in LA and she's somehow making money, but hopefully it's not, you know, on drugs or something. (laughs) Um, Because it really wasn't. I mean, nobody else in our family was like freelancing. I mean, everyone had a real job. And so, yeah, it's 
little scary to think that your your daughter or your niece or or whatever is um, is doing something that you don't understand. <laughs> and I get yeah, that. Yeah, especially virtual assistants weren't a big thing. People that they weren't in the the common language, should we say? And and also for that matter, essentially, it looks like you're you're helping strangers off the internet run their businesses. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It must feel. If weird. you really think about it, right? And that could mean anything. You know, that could be a a, a hotline. You know, that you call for for other things. So yeah, it was. And even now, I mean, you said virtual assistants wasn't a weren't a, a known thing. Even now I have to explain what I do and that's eight years later. Mm. So it's, it's not the kind of thing that everyone knows about. It's not the kind of thing that, that everyone uses. It's, it's, you have to be an internet professional, I think, or at least somewhat, a somewhat savvy business person. I mean, my dentist, you know, down the street, doesn't know what a virtual assistant is and would never have a need for a virtual assistant. He has an actual, an in-person assistant. (laughs) Um, So it is still sort of a a lesser known industry, I would say. So how did it grow from, from there? So you've got, you know, a handful of clients. It's taken up most of your time though. Mm -hmm. I was working a lot. Um, I thought this is great. You know, I, I wasn't afraid of work. I liked working uh, and I liked that I could make my own schedule around my work. So sometimes I'd get up early, put in a couple of hours, go to the beach, you know, do whatever I wanted to do and then come back and work all night. Or if I knew that I had a dinner, I would put in, you know, more of a normal uh, <laughs> nine to five work schedule. It just kind of depended what my plans were, but I didn't mind working, you know, pretty much all day. Once I started to feel overwhelmed and feel like I had so many balls in the air that I I was afraid I would lose one, <laughs> I I thought about, well, hey, you know, people are hiring me to do this. I could hire my own people to help me. And I figured, you know, I'll keep an eye on it. I'll keep the quality really great and I'll review everything. But a lot of this work anybody could do. And my clients as well didn't really care if I did it or if someone else did it, as long as it got done on time and as long as it got done well. So by 2000, this was now by 2011, I was starting to think about growing and and hiring people. And so that's when I officially started the LLC and sort of registered with the government and did all the <laughs> the paperwork because uh, before that I was just really I was just Jess you know I was mm. Jess Ostroff you know whatever didn't even have a real business name so uh, 2011 I decided to you know pull out the big guns and which by the way it's not difficult at all to incorporate a company so <laughs> I don't I don't know why I didn't do it sooner um, but I that's when I started don't panic management and that's when I started hiring some of my own freelancers to help me out with the work. And so, yeah, it took about uh, about 18 months for me to get to that point. So at this point, as far as your clients are concerned, they're hiring you. They have that relationship with you. Uh, they love the way you do things. Are they aware that you're, you're then hiring other people to help you with that? That's a good question. I don't remember. Um, I think some of them that I did specifically have other people working on, they knew um, because I would introduce them. I'd say, okay, you know, you're going to work with 
you know, Miss Marie over here and, and she's going to help you with your research project. But I didn't have that with all of them. And I especially didn't have that with some of my, you know, longest running clients. I continued to do the work for the ones that really knew me and really trusted me. And it was only until much later that I started to say, hey, I started a company. <laughs> now you're going to be working with a different person besides me. And is that okay? But I think in the beginning, uh, most of them, most of the ones I had sort of grandfathered in were still working with me. And it was only new people that I would say, okay, you're working with Stacy or you're working with Bob or whoever it was. And how did you find managing other people on, on top of everything else? That was the worst. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I thought as like, as most entrepreneurs, I just wanted to do the work. I, I started doing this because I was good at this certain thing. And when you're starting as a freelancer and you're just doing that, it's great. You know, you're doing the things that you, you sought out to do. As soon as you start to grow and you're dealing with more things like, you know, it was one thing when I had to send out three invoices. Now all of a sudden I have to send out 10 or, or, or 20, you know, and now I have to report my income to the government and do all these, these papers that I don't know what they mean. And, and oh, by the way, now I have these other human beings that I'm responsible for. I mean, none of them were full time. So luckily I didn't have to provide health insurance or any other type of benefits, but even, yeah, managing other people is so hard. Um, and I didn't, of course, didn't know that. <laughs> um, and I would think most of the issues that I've ever faced in my career have been related to people, whether it's a client or someone that I manage. And they don't teach you that. You know, I studied marketing and we didn't, I wish that we did some human resources and leadership training because I think everybody can use that. You know, it's not just, it's not just business owners and entrepreneurs, but most people, as they grow their careers, you know, they might start as an assistant or a coordinator, but then they're a manager and then they're maybe a VP, you know, something like that. And you're always going to have to manage people. So I, I wish that I had some of that training. Um, both of my parents were leaders in, in different ways and I learned a lot from them. And then I started reading leadership books. You know, I started doing all those things because I realized I can do the virtual assistant thing. That's not a problem. <laughs> but the whole like working with people, managing expectations, um, giving feedback. I mean, I would rather just do redo an entire project and do it myself, <laughs> you know, than give the feedback that they did something wrong. And that's not the case anymore. But at the time, oh my gosh, I was just going over and over things and I was just so nice. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was giving people the benefit of the doubt. You know, I was letting people get away with stuff that they shouldn't have gotten away with. And, you know, that's not a good way to run a business <laughs> because you put yourself in, in danger of disappointing your clients. And that was my 
my biggest motivator for doing anything with my business is to make my clients happy. So uh, once I kind of got clear on that, I didn't feel as bad, you know, giving feedback or, or firing people because I was like, you know what, this is not about you. It's about the client. And if we can't make the client happy here and you're not willing to do what it takes, then you're just not a good fit. And, you know, I kind of made it more simple for myself, but I still felt really bad. Uh, so I've kind of had to get over that over the years. <laughs> and how about the, the the sort of the pricing element of it, where once you were just billing for your time, but now you're kind of billing for somebody else's, but you're still having to manage it. So there's a bit of time yeah. involved there. And maybe, ca- I don't know, cash flow wise, you might be paying the freelancer before you've been paid by the client. And it all suddenly changes. Absolutely. That was, that's been an ongoing battle. I think we finally figured it out, you know, eight years later. (laughs) But um, I remember speaking of that one time, I, I sent a new contract. So every year we would adjust our prices and clients knew that and they expected that. Not, nothing crazy, you know, a couple bucks per hour more, you know, something like that. But one year, I I started realizing that I was severely undercharging even for my services and based on what everybody else was getting out there and based on just basic needs. Like, you know, I didn't realize when I started as a freelancer that I had to pay my own health insurance and I had to pay for my own computer and equipment. You know, nobody else was paying for that. And that didn't occur to me, you know, because I was just going with the flow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I realized when I really broke it down, I was losing money. Um, so I had to change my pricing. And I, and I thought that it would be fine because, and it was fine because what I did was every time I got a new client, I charged them a little bit more. Um, it was the old clients that were a problem. <laughs> and I remember one year I sent a new contract and it was literally, I think the hourly price was double what he had been paying before. And he said to me, he was like, Jess, are you telling me that you're going to charge me double for the same work? And I was like, yep. (laughs) I think he knew that my rates were ridiculous. And he was like, okay. So that's when I also said, all right, great. I am worth this amount of money. And I think that's always a a challenge for freelancers to determine how much they're worth, at least, especially with women. I think we tend to undervalue ourselves, uh, but... But at the end of the day, I just had to to make ends meet. And once I realized that I could charge that, I thought, well, let me see if I can get a little bit more from other clients. Again, nothing crazy. I wasn't trying to 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 go nuts because I also didn't want someone to feel like they were overpaying for a service. And when it's a virtual assistant, you can only charge so much. You know, I can't charge the same as like a an audio engineer or or a consultant or uh, even a business operations manager. So I had to be careful not to go too high. Which now, you know, some people say, well, I pay my virtual assistant five dollars an hour, and I say, well. What happened with that virtual assistant? Because now you're here talking to me, <laughs> you know? So it's funny when you when you talk to some people who are like, well, I don't want to pay more than, you know, this amount. And it's like, okay, but you know what you're getting for that, you know? And yeah. I think the other thing for me that I've learned through working with uh, accountants and working with a business coach is sort of what the right profit margin is 
that you should strive for as a business. And these are things that I didn't know. I still managed to grow, you know, I still managed to hire people, but I never had that cushion uh, of cash that, you know, in the event that something went wrong or, or if I wanted to send, you know, a birthday gift to a client or, you know, little things like that, I never had the money for anything else. <laughs> I, we were just, you know, making ends meet and that was it. And now that we've been able to create a little bit of a cushion, it's, it, it makes me feel more stable. Um, it allows me to, you know, pay some of our, our freelance assistants a little bit more if they are doing really great work. You know, it's not the kind of thing where I can give people raises all the time unless we raise, you know, client rates. But I think that if you're doing a good job, you deserve something, mm. whether it's a bump in salary or a bonus or, you know, a really nice gift or, or something like that. So yeah, it's <laughs> managing people and dealing with money are the hardest things, I think. You said earlier, like most entrepreneurs, so you said something like, this, like most entrepreneurs, was there a point where you identified with that word entrepreneur, right? Rather than just freelancer, you know, when you said just me, Jess, just Jess, mm -hmm. where, where it felt like actually, no, actually, I'm building something more than that. Yeah, that is, yeah, it's taken a while. So after I, I started the business, I, I was back in New York and I was working at a bunch of different co-working spaces, um, you know, just trying to find the one that I felt like fit me the best. And everyone I met thought that it was a startup, um, that Don't Panic Management was a startup. And for me, that word kind of rubbed me the wrong way because when I think of startups, I think of a technology or a service sort of product that is new and innovative and that people are going to want, but that, but also a company that needs to take investment from other people. And I was really proud of the fact that I bootstrapped the business and that I, I never took any investments, still have never taken any investments or loans or anything like that, and that I've built it by myself. And I couldn't explain it to people. They were like, but you're a startup. And I'm like, no, I'm not a startup. I'm a small business. I'm just a small business. And, you know, all that, that kind of, all those conversations and sort of growing it organically and trying to figure out what is an entrepreneur? Is, on, is an entrepreneur just someone who starts a business? I didn't think that. I thought an entrepreneur was more. I thought it was some bigger role in the world of business. And so once I started to be able to provide more opportunities for people and really change the lives of my clients, or at least they've said <laughs> that my team and I have changed their lives, that's when I started feeling like an entrepreneur. So I'd say that's come in the last two years or three years, maybe. Mm. And identifying with that, did that make a difference? Yes. Yes. I think I definitely feel more confident in what I'm doing because I feel like I'm literally building something from scratch. Um, before it just felt like, well, this fell in my lap and now I'm going to just do something with it, <laughs> you know, do whatever I can with it. And now I'm more actively saying, okay, where do I want to go with this? Who do I want to help? How can I make a mark 
in our economy and in our society and in these people's lives. I feel like I'm taking a more active role in my future, but also in the future of the business and the future of the people that work with me. Yeah. So, so, so within the brand, it's, it's creating that sort of brand beyond just yourself, isn't it? Exactly. And that's been really important too, because I can't possibly do all the work <laughs> that we have now. And that, that's taken a couple of years to kind of say, yes, you are going to talk to me. You know, I'm the new business face of the company. I, I bring in the clients and this and that, but, but you're not going to work with me. And is that okay with you? <laughs> At first it was hard. Um, but now, you know, because we've really built the brand and I've taken my name out of it a little bit, it, it's been great. And also because I think I have great people, you know, when someone talks to my colleagues, they're like, oh my God, I love Becca. I love Jen. They're so great. I'm so happy to be working with you guys. It's not just about me anymore. It's about everyone being on board with the mission and everyone wanting to serve these clients the best that they possibly can. Do you know what struck me though, as you were as you were saying all of that, is this team effort, where often as a freelancer you can feel quite isolated, quite by yourself, mm -hmm. working towards something. And even if you grow your business and you you know you bring on other people to work with you, as you did at the beginning, it's still you driving everything forward and managing everything. Yeah. But yeah, it must feel. Well, I presume it must feel great to to feel. Yeah, part part of something bigger, like working within that team. But it's your team. Yeah, I think that I, I've I'm very stubborn. <laughs> I <laughs> and I don't like to ask for help. You may have have gleaned that from this conversation. My team now, I'm just. I mean, I've been working with them for about three or four years now. And it's taken that long for me to fully trust them and for them to know that they can say, just stop, like stop being an idiot. <laughs> you know, they, they feel comfortable telling me when I'm doing something that's not going to be great. I remember one example from last year, it was a friend who came through another friend and wanted to work with us. And, and what my one colleague had said to me, just, we just decided with our coach that we're not going to take on clients like this. And I was like, well, but it's a friend, you know, and, and I think we can do this and da, 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 da. of course she was right. You know, I, I got my way and I, I brought this client on and it, and it was a bad fit and, you know, we ended things on fine terms, which is always good, but, but it, but I should have listened to what, you know, we'd made these decisions about the business for a reason and we can't be all things to all people. And that's one thing as a freelancer that I've really struggled with. You know, I want to help everybody. <laughs> I think everyone deserves to be helped. But that doesn't mean that every client is going to fit into my core values or or the way that I want to grow my business. And that's okay. You know, there's so many other freelancers and, and other businesses out there that can help. And so that's when another big goal for me this year is to make more of those connections so that even if I can't help a person myself, I can refer them to somebody who can. And I think that as freelancers, even if you don't have a team, you know, sort of having a network of complementary freelancers or other businesses that you can talk to and that you can refer people to, I think it's really valuable. 
another thing that I've done, you know, especially when I was alone was I was involved in a lot of different communities, um, you know, social media clubs, because I was doing a lot of marketing work. I, I was in some masterminds, you know, for, for small business owners, all those kinds of things really help you see what you're doing from another perspective and talk to other people that are dealing with the same kinds of issues and challenges that you're dealing with. And once I outgrew some of those, that's kind of where I, I landed was I found myself in these different masterminds and I was always the one giving the advice <laughs> and nobody had any advice for me. So, you know, that's when I decided I needed to, to bring in sort of like an executive, you know, leadership coach uh, and a business coach instead. But, but I think, you know, when you're not sure where you're at yet, get into a mastermind. And the one that I was in, there was a girl from Bali. There was a girl from Scotland. There was a girl from Australia. There was a girl from Texas. You know, it doesn't have to be location specific. And that's what's so great about, you know, Skype and, and having a time zone converter app. <laughs> um, but there are so many people out there that are either doing the same thing as you, or at least dealing with the same challenges as is and issues as you. And, and you should, you should find those people and talk to them and share. Um, I found the more vulnerable I got, the more that I was willing to share with other people, um, the more value I got. And also the more connections and referrals that I got from people because they were like, I know exactly what Jess does and what she doesn't do. So I'm able to send people her way because we've had those conversations before. Mm. And that for me has been the ultimate success. Now, you sounded like you started off, you know, wanting this flexible lifestyle. Do, <laughs> do, do you still feel like you've got that? It comes in waves. So after I started in 2011 and then on up until probably 2016, I was just, you know, balls to the wall, like doing everything. <laughs> and, and, and I think I was a little bit like I didn't care about working all the time. And I didn't, I didn't have a lot of goals. I was just like, let's grow this thing. Let's do whatever we possibly can to make more money. I had gotten really sick, which I talk about a little bit in the book. That was a little bit of a wake up call for me because I realized, you know, I felt like I was a superhero. I could, I could work all day. I could go out and party with my friends all night and get no sleep and, and continue on. And at a certain point, my body was like, nope, you cannot do that. <laughs> you have to take better care of yourself. And it was just a matter of time. It was just a matter of hours in the day. So I had to figure out what things I was most uniquely qualified to do, what things that I should be doing, and kind of get rid of everything else. Um, so I would say my quote unquote work-life balance, you know, I don't really believe in balance per se, because I definitely work <laughs> more than I have my life, but, but I think the quality of both is much better now that I've set boundaries around who I'm going to work with, when I'm going to work and also what my priorities are, because, you know, my health now I can't work because I'm myself and because my fingers and my brain are basically my work. I have to be healthy. And so I prioritize that over almost anything. And, you know, unless there's a client emergency, I'm going to the gym. And I just think that oftentimes you don't realize what you need until 
you have an incident, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But usually if you listen to what your body's telling you in those incidents, you're going to make a positive change and you're going to be much happier as a result. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? And by the way, before we start, you you have already you know laid down some some groundwork here by basically saying you I don't know you're, it came across like you might be a bit of a pro at this because you used to play at camp is that right Yeah, but I realized that the ones I used at camp I couldn't really use on the air <laughs> here, <laughs> so I had to think of some different ones. But um... okay, what have you got for me? Okay, so I am an amateur trapeze artist. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I own four sets of the Harry Potter series. And I once lived in five different states in nine months. Uh, You've got four sets of the Harry Potter series. What, of books or of the films? Mm -hmm. The books. Why? <laughs> That's right. That's the lie. I actually what have two that? sets. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to roll over and die quite so quickly. I know. <laughs> oh, really? Was I supposed to keep it going for a little bit? But hang on. Is it? Well, yes. I was. I was oh. But hang on. If if you're saying yes, that's the lie. That means you really are an amateur trapeze artist. Yeah. (laughs) You stood a really good chance of winning because I probably would have picked that. You're an amateur trapeze artist? Well, I mean, I I use that as a loose term. I take trapeze lessons. (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't? Uh, It's not just something you you, you teach yourself. So, so, no, sorry. When did you start taking trapeze lessons? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a friend, um, you know, and of course she's an internet friend. I met her on Twitter, um, (laughs) but we we got connected and uh, one time she was in New York and she's this girl who like, she she wants to be a Disney princess. (laughs) Like that has been her childhood dream. And she does all kinds of things. You know, she, she's, she's in an improv troupe and I think she goes to Disney world like a couple times a a year. And she also started doing trapeze because she was like, I could be in the circus, you know, but as a, (laughs) as a fun thing, like not a real thing. And I was like, what is it about this? You know? And she was like, just come with me one time. And so I did. And honestly, it's the only one of the only times in my life where I can actually turn off my brain or or I shouldn't say turn off, but I have you have to focus so hard on the timing and on not letting go of this <laughs> big wooden <laughs> thing and and making sure that you're putting your body in the right position. You cannot possibly worry about anything else. And so for me, it's almost like a meditative experience. It's like, I can't think about work. I can't think about whatever things I have to do that day. I can only focus on, you know, holding onto this bar and not dying. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. that's been really fun. And if anyone wants to come to New York and do a trapeze class, 
you just look me up and we'll go for it. Yeah. You see, I'm not saying it's going to be this year, but you know at some point I'm going to do that. <laughs> it's good. It's, gonna... it's awesome. Well, and it's cool because anybody can do it. I mean, the first time you go, they just get you to swing. And then if you swing well enough, then you <laughs> they get you to put your legs over the bar and, and that's it. You know, it's it's that's why I thought it was cool too, because you didn't necessarily need any kind of skill uh, to start at least. Um, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Oh, know your finances and understand them because I that was the first thing I always wanted to delegate was dealing with the books, <laughs> you know, invoices and expenses and the bank account and everything. But I... I needed to understand it better in order to make sound decisions about the growth of the business. And so I I wished I had paid more attention in the early years. I knew I had money. I knew there was money sitting there and I never got into trouble, luckily. Uh, but I think I would have been able to be more intentional about the direction of the business and about my growth if I had understood it better from the beginning. So um, that's just advice I give anyone who's starting their businesses. Don't even if you have someone helping you uh, with your finances, be in contact with them. Have a monthly meeting with them so that you understand what's going on and you understand what each change in the you know client load or in the expenses, what all of that means mm. for the bottom line. Nice. Jess, thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com. There'll be links through to what Jess is up to, both on social and, of course, Don't Panic Management, and the book as well, which I'm on about chapter one, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm early days. <laughs> um, good. But, but, but it sounds weird to say it's really well written and sound surprised because I don't mean that in a rude way. But as in, it could easily be you need a virtual assistant. Here's how you know you need one. And here's, but actually it feels more like you're reading a story and like you're more immersed into it. And then someone's kind of helping you. Well, I appreciate, I mean, I worked really hard. I didn't want to write just another business book. So I really appreciate that because I tried to get my voice in there as much as possible and tell my version of it because I think there are, you know, I'm not, this is not the first book about virtual assistants, <laughs> far from it. But the last sort of really great book about it, I think, was written in 2014. And that's a long time in internet years <laughs> to not have, you know, another great book about it. So I'm hoping that this book will share my story and my version. You know, I've had to take my own advice, like I said, <laughs> which is not easy. Um, but I hope that it just provides some practical advice and tells some funny stories in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations with that. We'll put a link, of course, at beingfreelance.com. Go take a look. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can be watching as well with the vlog. It's on the website, but also on YouTube, documenting my freelance week as well. But Jess, thanks so much and all the best being freelance and being a boss. Thank you, Steve. This was so much fun. I really appreciate you having me. 